Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in us. So uh, we just seal this work that God's been up to in this time. Uh, we declare that what God does, no one can undo. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have been working in us, that you are working in us, and that you will work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give glory to the Lord for the work he's doing. Hey, if, if God did something in your life, don't leave today until you tell, <clears throat> excuse me, until you tell someone what he did. Okay? Pedro, can you wave in the back? You guys see Pedro back there? If you can't tell me your story, I really want to encourage you. Tell Pastor Pedro your story. Tell Lindsay your story here. It, it, one of our team, tell, tell someone else who's, who's on our team serving here. Uh, we we want to know because I, I want to know what God's up to in your lives because then when we can share together what God's doing, that, that builds faith. So if God didn't do something today for you, maybe you heard, whoa, God met these people here in this way. I know he's going to meet me too. Amen? Wow. Wow. Maybe I shouldn't even preach today. It's not going to be as good as that, that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, amen. No, don't, no, come on. He's like, amen. Wow, not what I was hoping for. There's a little bit of encouragement. No, you're so, it's, your messages are great. You're getting, no, it's too late now, Johnny. It's too late. It's too late. You said your piece. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to try anyway. If, you, if you've got a Bible, open it up to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read starting in verse 12 in a little bit here. We've been continuing our series, Rooted. And, and we're talking about living a life rooted in everything that is Jesus Christ and what that means for us. Um, and uh, we, uh, we've been talking... Uh, in the first half of Colossians, I think I mentioned this last week, Paul's very, very, we'll use the term theological, but maybe conceptual is a better idea. He, he's kind of, it, it seems very like impractical, but he's explaining all these things about who Jesus is and, and what he's done. And then he has this big fat word. Do you guys remember the word at the beginning of chapter three? Johnny. Oh, you're listening to my sermons. Look at you, Johnny. I'm just, you're, you've just become my target today now, Johnny, apparently. I'm just going to tease you. Yeah, you got to hide. Um, therefore, and it's this word that transitions from just this conceptual idea to Paul starting to get really, really practical with what this means, how this actually works out in our lives, what this looks like for us on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and we talked last week about how our desires shape our habits, we talked about how um, when our desires are focused on the self and they're focused on what we want, uh, that is where sin like just goes crazy and can grow because it's, 
it's almost less to do in some ways about what we're doing, although that's important, but it's tied to the desire. What do we, is it we really want? And we talked about how our desires get disordered, but when we put our desires, when we set our heart, is the way that Paul puts it, on Jesus, on the resurrected Jesus, we actually get his life in exchange of ours. Amen? And so when we begin to focus on Jesus and we put our desires on him, the question for us today is, what actually happens? What changes? So last week we talked about, hey, if you are putting your desires in Jesus, these are all of the things in your lives that need to change. This is the old way of living. This is the old way of being in the world. But there's a new way because of the new life of the resurrected Jesus that you're coming into. And so... What does that new way look like is what we're here to talk about today. And I've entitled this message, That Looks Good on You. I thought it was funny because that's exactly what Paul's going to talk about. And you'll see why I called it that in a second. But how many of you like clothes shopping? How many of you really like getting some hands shot up quick? Wow. There was like a, clothes are my life. Or what people are saying right now. Um, they love clothes shopping. And, and how, how many of you love when you pick out an outfit, or you get that right set of clothing, and someone goes, that looks good on you. you lo- oh, you love that, don't you? Yeah, why not, right? Why not? I, I like it. I didn't know I liked that before I met my wife. Okay? Before I met my wife, I had no fashion sense. Some would argue I still don't. Uh, but I, I pretty much just have a set of clothes now that our wife approved, and I know I can just grab anything. I think it took me about a minute to pick out my outfit this morning, and that was because I had to run down to the basement to the dryer because I left something in there that I didn't have up in my dresser. So that's why it took that long to decide. Um, but but before, when I, before I started dating my wife, I had no clue about what looked good and what didn't, and I had no clue that I had no clue. Uh, and so it was, it was pretty bad, guys. But I had no fashion sense at all. So as I started dating her, and, and at one point I feel like there were subtle suggestions about some wardrobe updates or changes that started to come up in conversation. Um, I've got another friend, actually, who's, who's dating someone right now. And after their first date, he got a not-so-subtle hint not to wear a hoodie on their next date. And, and it, was, it, was a, it was a great moment for him. I thought that was funny. But, so I got these, like, subtle hints. And then, like, she came clothes shopping with me. And, and there I am, uh, you know, with her uh, clothes shopping. And, and she, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get this and this and this. Like, my go-tos. I'm comfortable with these clothes here. I know these clothes there's no questions. It's just comfortable. It's going to work for me, right? And she goes, what about trying this? You ever go with someone? I, I stereotype. It's not always true. But husbands, on average, do you feel like your wife kind of goes, what about this? Right? Or if you're dating someone, how, how about this? Or you have that friend that has a better fashion sense than you. And they're like, what about this? And you're like, I would never wear that. Any of you like that? Like, I would never wear that. Well, as I began to do this more with Jillian, and then eventually, you know, I wanted to get married to her, so I had to shape up pretty quick. Uh, I, I, had to, I had to start trusting some of her fashion wisdom. And, and she's, she's pretty good. She, she can put a good look together, right? She knows what she's doing. So I, I began to go, that's really uncomfortable. That doesn't, I don't think that's me. Anyone have a piece of clothing that, like, doesn't, you don't think it's you, but then you start wearing it, and you're like, I look good in this. 
I, I think I like this. You know what I'm talking about? So that's what started happening. As I started trusting her wisdom, I began to realize that these suggestions were actually really good. They looked good on me. And often with our following Jesus, and what we're going to talk about in a minute, the things of the new life of following Jesus don't feel like our comfortable wardrobe that we're used to. They're not the comfortable wardrobe. There are things where the Holy Spirit will be like, what about trying this on? And you're like, I would never wear that. That is not in my color palette. This is not what I do, right? These are, as Paul's going to show us, the clothes that we're all meant to wear. The things we are called to put on, in a sense. There's the old rags of sin and brokenness, and they pale in comparison to the look that God has for you to wear. So, I want you to have the attitude that the Holy Spirit's inviting you into with this. I want you to have the same attitude as the great news anchor, Ron Burgundy, who once said, everyone, come see how good I look. If you don't know, that's a reference from the movie Anchorman, but he says at one point, he's looking at himself in the mirror and he loves the suit he's wearing and he just yells, everyone, come see how good I look. But I want you, all jokes aside, I want you to see when you begin to put on the new clothes of Jesus, I want you to start going, whoa, come see how good I look. I want you to understand how good you look in these new clothes today. Are you ready? Oh, man, we're in trouble. Are you ready? All right. Let's read this together. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, and we're going to read uh, till the first verse of chapter 4. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its riches fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear for the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. 
But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done. For God has no favorites. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, you've been so good to meet with us this morning already. So we just ask, Father, that as we dive into your word, as we see how good we look in the close of this new life, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to understand, and a mind to know. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned earlier, uh, chapter three moves us into very practical uh, aspects of what it is to follow Jesus in our daily life. And so now, uh, Paul has some things for us to do, but he doesn't use the language of doing. Instead, as you heard in that passage, he says, put on or to clothe yourselves. The Greek there word, the word there literally is to put on, and it's the word that would have been used in everyday common language in the Greek world to literally put your clothes on. It's the same word. And so he wants the Colossian church and he wants you and I to understand that there are new clothes, new kinds of garments for you and I to put on. And these new clothes look amazing on you. So I want to talk about uh, three uh, aspects of these new clothes and this new life in Christ that looks so good on you. First, you look good in your new identity. Verse 12, since God has chosen you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with, and then he goes through the list, tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, making allowance for each other's faults, forgiving, remembering the Lord forgave you, clothing yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. I want you to see that this is all an outflow of your new identity that looks fantastic on you. Here's what your new identity is. He says right at the beginning, you are chosen, you are holy, and you are dearly loved. That's your identity. You are chosen, you are holy, and you are dearly loved. I want you to say something with me real quick. Say, I am chosen. I am holy. I am dearly loved. That's good right there, isn't it? N.T. Wright says, having taken off the shabby clothes appropriate for the old age, the Colossians are to be fitted out with beautiful new robes appropriate for their new position. They are not accustomed to such finery, but God's loving and gracious choice of them makes it fitting that they should wear it now. God chose you. God made you holy. God loves you. I've heard it said, God not, God not only loves you, but he likes you. God chose you. He didn't just choose you because he had to choose everyone. He specifically went out and looked for you. He chose you. There's so much intention in the Father in that word. He chose you. You are chosen. That's who you are. Anyone wondering who you are? You're chosen. So intentional. No accident involved in this. 
You were made holy. Remember several weeks ago, north, towards the beginning of this series, we talked about what it means to be holy, to be set apart. There's a specific purpose that something that's made holy is used for. It's for special purposes. And God has made you holy because he has set you apart for special purposes. And he loves you. He loves you. What's the nicest bit of clothing you've ever worn or ever owned? Someone shout something out. Wedding dress, a couple wedding dresses. Anything else? This. Some of the people who like clothes shopping. See, I told you I'm picking on you today, Johnny. Yeah, for me, it was actually my, my wedding suit. I got it custom tailored for my wedding. Oh man, let me tell you, that was a divine experience. After the fact, when I was in the process, though, of it getting tailored, I was very uncomfortable. Now, remember, I was not used to nice clothing. I was not used to anything like this. And when I, for my wedding, went and decided to get this suit custom tailored, they went over every seam, every inch, and they wanted it to be just right. And there were times in that process where I said, that's fine. Stop fussing. You're fussing too much. I feel uncomfortable. Anyone ever feel uncomfortable if someone's fussing over you too much? Anyone feel uncomfortable if someone wants something to be so over the top perfect for you? It's like we actually can't take that much love and that much care a lot of times. It's hard for us to receive if we're honest. And I think sometimes God is giving us this finely tailored garment and he's fine tuning it perfectly for you. It's who you are, that you are chosen, that you are loved, that you are holy. And, and, and we get like, God, you know, just, that's enough. Just, just give me kind of like an okay garment. And he's like, I only make the finest clothing. I only chose you. I only made you holy. I only love you with everything I have. I don't have a plan B here. You ever find yourself kind of pushing away the love of God because it just feels so uncomfortable that he would love you that much, that he would care for you that much? You feel uncomfortable with this, this sense of holiness and otherness because it's almost this scary mystery you can't comprehend. Why would you choose me, God? There's other people. Choose other people. We're so self-effacing uh, that, that, that we just can't handle that. But let me tell you, when, when you receive that truth, that identity, when you start to feel comfortable in that finely tailored identity that God has given you, something changes in you. And this is where Paul says, because of this identity, go ahead, put on that that jacket that looks like tender-hearted mercy. Put on kindness that looks like those nice leather shoes. Put on humility and gentleness that's like those nice heels that you like to wear. Put on patience. It's like that nice winter jacket you have. That sweater. We are in sweater weather right now, so... I'm diving deep on the pop culture references today. <laughs> Think about this. He says to put on this, this ability to make allowances for people's faults. How many of you feel uncomfortable with that garment? How many of you feel uncomfortable putting on the garment of forgiving anyone who offends you? But let me tell you something. You look really good in that. You look really good in it. And not only I'm saying that, the master tailor, Jesus himself, says... 
I designed that especially for you, and it looks good. It looks good. Friends, you look really great in your new identity. You look really, really good being chosen, being holy, being someone that is so deeply loved. And you look good walking it out in tenderhearted mercy and gentleness and forgiveness. You look good in that. Did you know that? It doesn't have to be this uncomfortable garment. Just try it on for a while. I bet you'll get used to it. It looks great on you. You look good in your new identity. Second, you look good in your new attitude. Verse 15, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. He goes on and says, to let this, this word, this message of Christ live in you, uh, teach and counsel each other, sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is really important. When we embrace that we have been given this new identity, we can really get comfortable wearing our new attitude. First your identity, and then your attitude. Your attitude begins to change. Now, our hearts used to be places uh, that were ruled by our own desires and our own will. And now, Paul says that your heart is going to be a place where the peace of Christ dwells. It's going to be a place that is totally surrendered to him. When peace reigns in your life, when you have an attitude of peace, it, that's an attitude of someone who's totally surrendered and totally submitted to Jesus, no matter what's happening. There's an incredible peace when you begin to surrender, especially when it's stuff you just have no control over. I'm gonna surrender this to you, Lord. I have no control over this. So how do we do this? How, how do we have peace living in our lives? A couple simple things. Paul even just kind of lists it. These are very practical. The word of Christ has to dwell in you richly. What is your time spent with the scriptures, reading the Bible? This isn't a check the box off, I read the Bible today, but are you letting the Bible and the words of scripture dwell in you richly? There's so much content in our world today. There's so much information from email and social media and 24-hour news networks and everything in between. There's so much content at our fingertips now more than at any other time in human history. And it's very easy to let the information age dwell in us richly. There's so much information. But are we prioritizing and are we making space to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? One of my favorite practices to do is in the morning before I look at my phone or anything else is I grab my Bible and I usually follow the book of common prayer readings and there's always a psalm for the morning to read and, or, or a couple psalms and I'll read the psalm and I'll pray the psalm. You know, the, the psalms are really the prayer book of the Bible. 
If you're, if you're looking for a place to start praying, just start praying the Psalms, reading the Psalms. And it, it's actually an encapsulation of all of the theology of the entire Bible wrapped up into these prayers and songs in the Psalms. And as we go to them, and, I, and as I poured my, my heart out over them, my mind begins to think differently because I'm less focused and I'm not dwelling richly on the content of this world and the content and the noise that's constantly available to me, but I'm dwelling richly in the Psalms and the Scriptures in the words of Jesus and the words of God in the Bible. And that begins to allow the peace of Jesus to change my attitude. Second, in that, uh, teach and counsel each other with wi- in, in wisdom, Paul says. Man, there's so much wisdom we get from, from life with God and prayer and studying the scriptures. Uh, you have wisdom. Did you know you, even if you've been a Christian for 30 seconds, you have wisdom to impart to other believers? You have something to share with the body. And and we all need that because when we do that, we're getting God's perspective. And it's shaping our hearts and our attitudes. One of the most powerful things about uh, Christianity is, is you could be the most experienced, learned Christian, super mature, and there's always going to be an opportunity for you to learn from the person who just walked in the door. There's something so powerful about that. There is always something for everyone to learn, and that just smacks worldly wisdom in the face because the way we do it is, well, I've been here the longest, so I know what I'm doing, and you can't question me. That's not how we do it. Generally, yeah, you might have more experience, but there's always something to learn. And Paul says that this is part of how our attitude can change. Third, he says songs, hymns, spiritual songs. What did we spend extra time doing this morning? Singing. This is right in the scripture, to to sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Music actually cuts, it bypasses our our, our cognitive function and gets right to the heart. You ever hear a song and you just, oh, that takes me back, right? Oh, I remember that, oh man, that song. Remember, that was that summer. That was that summer, that was the song of that summer. You know what I mean? They they bring back memories. They they do things emotionally to us to, to speak to us. Uh, it was, I think it was Andrew Fletcher, a, a, an old Scottish politician, who said, give me the songs of a nation and I care not who writes its laws. Songs are powerful. And Paul knew that. Songs are powerful. And songs that are filled with the words of Jesus, the truth of the kingdom of God. Man, when we start singing those, it does something to change our attitude. And our clothes start looking different. And the final thing he says is to give thanks. Hey, if you're going to be a representative of Jesus, you got to have the attitude of Jesus. Just start giving thanks. I dare you to have a bad attitude after you've been practicing thankfulness. It's really hard to do. I had a season in my life where uh, I, I was in a really depressed place, really doubting God. And, and my wife started to, every single day, ask me, what are you thankful for today at the end of the day? Without fail, she would ask me that every single day. And at the end of a year, she asked me every day for a year, she handed me this little book, and inside was every single thing I'd said I was thankful for for an entire year. And something had been changing in me during that year, where because my attitude began to change because I had taken on this posture of thanksgiving. And let me tell you, because, you know, I get it, guys. When you're in a bad place and you're in a funk and things aren't going your way, having a good attitude feels like the most foreign piece of clothing you could put on ever, Right? Like, I will never wear that. Salmon is not my color. 
But man, when you start practicing thankfulness and gratitude, you go, let me try it on real quick. I think I could rock that. I think you could rock thankfulness, by the way. I think you could totally do that. It feels awkward maybe at first to, to take on this new attitude, but when you begin to take on this new attitude, man, it looks amazing on you. So you look good in your new identity. You look good in your new attitude. And finally, you look good in your new community. All of these things point to being able to do life better together. We have to. All of these things help us do life better together. You look good in your new community. There's a long explanation here where Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, husbands to your wives. Uh, he talks about children and parent relationships and slaves and masters and all these things. So, so here's a lot, there's a lot in here. And, and here's what this boils down to. It requires just a little bit of explanation. Basically, Paul was describing your average Roman world household. There would be, uh, and these are all the people who would live in the home. There'd be the parents, right? The husband-wife relationship. There'd be the kids. And then there'd be slaves. Some translations will call these bond servants. It's much different than we think of slavery. I can explain that more in a minute. Um, but they all lived in the same house. There were quarters for everyone. This was a household. So in a sense, this is Paul basically saying that the relationships that are the most routine, average, every day, the people you see all the time at work, in your neighborhood, on your street, in your home, all of these things, these people that you interact with the most are the relationships that matter the most if you're walking out Jesus' new kind of community. How you treat your family is going to be way more important than how you treat the president if he came to visit. How you treat your kids matters way more than how you treat your pastor or someone that you see just on a Sunday morning or a couple times a week. And what Paul's getting at here is, I know the relationships that are the hardest to do differently are the ones that are closest. You ever feel that? You ever feel like you can be really nice and have this great relationship with someone you don't know as well and when they, they cross like a certain threshold and how well you know each other or maybe like if you live away from your family, you go spend three days uh, at holidays. We've got Thanksgiving coming up. You go spend three days with your parents and suddenly you revert to being like 17 again. You know what I'm talking about? This is a real phenomenon, by the way, that happens that you, if you feel that. Those people that you are the closest to, Paul's saying, these are the relationships that when you begin to walk out this new life, when you put on the clothes of new identity, when you take on a new attitude, man, there's this beautiful new community that God's calling you to wear and put on and walk out, and it looks really good on you. So Paul introduces this radical new way of interacting in this new community. Uh, so wives, for example, uh, they were said, Paul says they belong to the Lord. That, that is a status that, that meant that they could go to God, the Lord of the universe, for whatever they wanted. So, so Paul is saying that's your same status in the household. Submit to your husband as to the Lord. Well, you submit to God, but you can go to him with anything. You could not do that in a Roman household. The wife had to be silent. You do not get to share your opinion. You do not get to share your perspective. So that's the, the radical nature of what Paul is saying here. Is, no, 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 no. Your, your wife is your equal. 
husbands. Husbands, they had no obligation to their wives at all. Typically, they would have many mistresses. Uh, They they could do whatever they wanted. Uh, uh, The wives were required to stay at home, stay put, and raise the, the children that she bore because those were the legal heirs for the household. And the husband could go do whatever he wanted. And Paul's saying that all stops now. It all stops now. You can't do what you want with your slaves or with anyone else that you meet. It all stops now. This is your wife. Love her. Husbands are instead called, they're called into a radically different way of of how they were going to live in the world. Also, children were considered property. Uh, uh, The man of the house could say, yeah, that child's not working out, kill them, or throw them out to the cold, or whatever, basically whenever they wanted up until they reached their their legal age of being an adult. Children had no standing in society. There's a a letter, a primary source that I heard someone recently, it was a centurion on the the Roman front, and and his uh, wife had borne him a a daughter, and he wrote back saying, get rid of her because we want a son. And, and, and that, was, that was just standard practice, normal practice. And so here's the church saying, no, 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 we have a new kind of community that's going to function very, very differently. And this is how it functions. Children need to obey their parents, but also fathers, not only can you not kill them and get rid of them, and not only are they not your property, you can't even aggravate and discourage them. That's radical. Some of us maybe have experienced very frustrating relationships with our fathers. Maybe we have been someone who has caused a frustrating relationship with our children. Paul's calling all of these everyday, mundane-seeming relationships that we have all the time, he's calling them into a new way of doing it. And that feels really uncomfortable. That's not a piece of clothing we're used to wearing, is it? Slaves and masters, I'll talk about this very briefly. This is a very, very different kind of slavery than we're familiar with in U.S. history. It's not based on uh, skin color or anything like that or or where you are from. It's more akin to being a bond servant. Someone uh, who owed a debt would perhaps work for someone or or they didn't have another means of making money and living on their own and they would live well in the home. Many of them would run the affairs of the home. Uh, they, They were business people and different things like that. It's not quite helpful to think about it as an employee-employer relationship, but there are some principles to it that are similar. Sometimes these uh, slaves, after they worked off their debt, were free to go and and do their own thing. So it's a very different thing than when we read slaves and masters uh, in, in many other points, unfortunately, even in American history when it was used to justify chattel slavery and everything like that. This is a very, very different thing that Paul's talking about here. Now, this hits home, and the reason this is the longest section, and then this is coming to a point, this, the reason this, this is the longest section that he goes on about slaves and masters for so long is because this hits home in the Colossian church particularly hard. Now, there's another letter that Paul also sent to this Colossian church called Philemon. You ever come across it? It's like one little letter. It's like 20-something verses, one chapter. You're like, that's my book. I'm reading that. I'm reading Philemon. And, and, and Philemon was the name of a head of one of these households in the Colossian church. And Philemon had a slave named Onesimus who ran away. He ran away. And he just happened to stumble across some guy by the name of Paul. Isn't that funny? 
and, and there's this guy, Epaphras, who's working with Paul, and he, he kind of knows who Onesimus is because he's from this church in Colossae as well. And so this whole section hits home because a slave had run away from his obligation and his duty. Again, very different than uh, our American history thinking of slavery. Um, now, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, don't run away. Do your work as if it's God himself you're working for. Be faithful in your job. Be faithful in what you're doing. And in the book of Philemon, he drives home this point even more that, that the master needs to even, to the point of, consider this person your equal. You do not give someone justice in Roman society unless they're your equal. Slaves don't get justice. They get what I tell them they get. Well, not in the church. Masters, you need to seek justice for your slaves, meaning they are your equals. Suddenly, the head of the household is on a level playing field with his wife, with his kids, with his slaves, all of these things. And it levels the playing field and creates a place of love and mutual respect. Now, this is radical, radical for the Roman world. This is so, so crazy for them. But it, it expresses itself in our day and age because we don't live like that, right? We don't have all these people that work for us or that we're working in someone's household in that same way. Uh, but it, but the same kind of expression comes out in the same way. Who, who is close to you? Who, who's in your household, so to speak? Your close friends, maybe your roommates, maybe family you live with, extended family, coworkers, neighbors. Who's in your close household and how is it that you treat them? Are you treating them as brothers and sisters? Are you treating them as equals? Or, or do you sense some kind of hierarchy? Or I'm doing this better than you are kind of thing. How do you relate to those closest to you? And, and in those relationships, are you wearing the shabby old ways that we used to relate to people? Or are you putting on this new garment and letting it play out the new way that Jesus has intended? Maybe a modern way of looking at this could be Husbands and wives, you need to have equal responsibility when it comes to how you care for your household. Children, your parents are in charge, not the other way around. Parents, don't neglect your children in favor of your phone. Those with less, don't be bitter towards those who are wealthy. Don't make excuses for your bad behavior. Love well and do everything as if you are doing it for Jesus. And then maybe the last part would say, those of you with more should consider yourselves the same as those with less. Maybe put yourself in a position of service to those who have not achieved as much success as you have. Go out of your way to serve them. It's probably a way we could read it nowadays. And that is such a different, radical way of looking at relationships and looking at community. It's a new way, and it's very disorienting for us because we're not used to operating like that. We might say, yes, yes, we're all equal here, but then we start going, well, you know, I think my, my vote should count more because I have much more money here that I, I can use to give. Or, you know, I, I think I, I have much more knowledge or education on this, I think, so maybe my opinion is more valuable here. Or, well, they're just a child. They, they don't really have a say. When they get older and they have more experience or maybe after they've worked a little in the world or have, you know, or, or maybe they get married, maybe then they're on the same level playing field as everyone. But the point is that Paul is saying, no, 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 because you are all living with Jesus alive in you, you are on a level playing field. It's a little humbling for those of us who maybe have a little bit of success. And maybe it's very freeing for those who feel like they don't have as much to offer. Isn't that good? 
Again, N.T. Wright says, Christ releases you to be truly human. And you must now learn to express your true self according to this divine pattern, not in self-assertion, but in self-giving. When we get into community, household, families, work relationships, all these things, what does it look like for you to not be self-focused or live with self-assertion, but be self-giving? What does self-giving look like in the new community? Can you imagine what would happen if we began living with each other like this? Began living in, in a way where we defer to each other or prefer someone else's needs above our own. What kind of community would form because of that? It's a little bit awkward, right? It's like that, that item of clothing in the back of the store that like looks way too cool for you. I can't do that. That's nice if some people can aspire to wear that, but I can't wear that. No, no, that looks good on you. You can live in a new community. It's what God's called you to. So you look good in your new identity. You look good in your new attitude. And you look good in your new community. I want to close with this as the team comes up. You might find moments and seasons in your life where uh, you really don't want to wear those new clothes. You're looking, at, you're looking at some of these things going like, there's no way I can live that out. This is insane. That's so different. That's other. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not doing that. Sometimes we do better than others, right? Sometimes we, we go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not doing this the way I'm called to do. I'm, I'm not living this out right. Whatever it might be. Now, there's one thing I didn't mention about this Greek word, put on, and, and this is what I want to end with today because this is really important for us because some days we're going to do better than others putting on these new clothes. Still working out how it fits exactly. Paul does something interesting here in the grammar. It's a verb in the aorist tense. What does that mean? In other words, Paul is saying, keep putting on the new clothes. Get up again, the new day. No, don't choose the old shabby clothes. Put on the new clothes again. Next day, no, put on the new clothes again. Next day, come on, choose to put on the new clothes again. And we keep coming back to it again and again and again and again and again. And we keep coming back to it, even if the day before, yeah, I didn't wear those clothes right. The next day, put them on again. Put them on again. Put them on again. A lot of times we feel disqualified because we goofed or we made a mistake or we blew it. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 put it on again. That looks good on you. That looks good on you. I want to see you wear that again. God has designed your identity, your attitude, and your community just for you. And it looks fantastic. Let's stand and pray. Jesus, I, I just thank you that you are the one who has given us this new way of life like clothing. And Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here today that they would just have eyes to see how good they look in this new wardrobe you've picked out for them. Hmm. Jesus, that as chains break off and strongholds crumble, they go, here, you'd just be there to be like, here, put this on instead. I just see, just see Jesus kind of going around to different 
people in the room and just giving you this beautiful coat, this beautiful garment. Just here, put this on. I made this for you. This is just for you. I know, I know this is really lavish. You've never worn anything quite this nice before, but trust me, you look good in this. So Holy Spirit, we receive the, the garments, the clothes that you have for us. We receive it. We receive it. We put off again the old garments, the old shabby clothes of the old life, and we receive the new life again. The identity, the attitude, and the community. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.